Father, we ask for your blessing upon your word as we do every single day we get into it. We pray that you would show us insights, that you would help us to learn your truths and these precepts that we could hold on to them and live our lives by them and communicate them to others. We know that there there are just riches in your word, more than this world could ever offer, for we know they have benefit for this life as well as the next. So, Father, put within us your word by your Holy Spirit. May you guide and lead us into all truth. In Jesus' name, amen. So in verse 17, just digressing here a little bit. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance as you did, or as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through the prophets, saying that the Christ would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from among his people. Last week we talked about the restoration or a little bit about the restoration. When Jesus comes back, all the prophets talked about it, that Daniel specifically, he was going to be cut off and then he's going to return in Daniel chapter 7 and Daniel chapter 9. We also know there's going to be a tribulation period and a thousand-year reign of Christ. you know in the thousand-year reign of Christ, the sun is going to beam seven times brighter than it is now. And then the moon will be just like the sun at night. That's how bright it's going to be. Now you might think, well, how in the world am I going to sleep? Remember, you are going to have your new bodies. You won't have to sleep. It won't be necessary because your life isn't dependent upon your sleep. But the people who repopulate the earth here, they'll probably have to have blackout shades. You know, it's kind of like in uh, the upper reaches of the Arctic or the Antarctic down below us. There's six months of light and six months of dark. Some people who live up there, they just love it. They love the, the festiveness, the lights and everything during the time of darkness. And when the sunshine comes, it's kind of strange. But that's what it's going to be like. It's going to be bright and light. And Jesus is going to be in Jerusalem. And people are going to live 100 years. It's going to be a wonderful time. But those people who are here, they're going to have to pay attention to what the word says as well. And we will all be teachers. We will govern. We will instruct people in the ways of the Lord. Now, signs were given to the Jews that the Messiah was going to show up. And these signs are listed in scripture. In verse 22, we know Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. And this is in Deuteronomy. I'm going to read this to you. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 17 through 19. It says, The Lord said to me, What they say is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among your brothers. I will put my words in his mouth, and he will tell them everything I command him. If anyone does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name, I myself will call him to account. So there's going to be a prophet. It was prophesied that he would come be just like Moses. He would do, he would do miracles. He'd be able to deliver revelation from God the Father, no problem. And it would spill out and they were supposed to recognize him. Now, if you remember when John the Baptist showed up, 
the Pharisees came out and they said, what's up with you? Who are you? He was out at the Jordan River and he was baptizing. And, and of course, John turned to them and called them, you snakes, you brood of vipers. And they still wanted to know who he was. Well, they were asked a question. Are you the, or he was asked a question, are you the Messiah? And he said, I am not the Messiah. And they said, are you Elijah? And they said, or he said, no, I'm not Elijah. And then the third question, are you the prophet? The prophet being referred to the one in Deuteronomy. So there's three people they were looking for. Unfortunately for them, they didn't understand that the prophet and the Messiah were the same. And Elijah would come as a forerunner. And Jesus told us that John the Baptist came in the spirit and power of Elijah. And if they would have accepted him then... John the Baptist would have been the fulfillment of Elijah, which was the precursor to the Messiah. Now it's going to happen. I believe the actual Elijah from the Old Testament is going to show up before the great and terrible day of the Lord, before Jesus comes back, and he's going to be the forerunner. And that's when everything will come to a culmination and Jesus will set everything new. So the Jews knew that the Messiah was going to appear. In Isaiah chapter 7, 14 and Isaiah 9, 6, we'll be using those come Christmas time. It, it talks about a virgin conceiving and bringing forth a child. In Isaiah 9, 6, we'll call him everlasting father, we'll call him Emmanuel, that type of thing. They knew the Messiah was going to come. And if they paid attention to Daniel chapter 7 and 9, they would have understood it was their time. That's when the Messiah was going to come. And they knew that Elijah would precede the coming of the Messiah in Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. It says he will come before the Messiah arrives. That's why they're asking him, are you Elijah? And he goes, no, just the voice of one calling in the wilderness is what he said. And they also knew that there was going to be the prophet who would come, who would be like Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 18, which we also read. And so they had this information. They were looking. They were seeing, well, who was born in Bethlehem? They accused Jesus of not being or from Bethlehem, that he was from Galilee. And they would say, he can't be the Messiah. He's from Galilee. Of course, we know that Jesus, when he was born, he remained in Bethlehem for about two years. From there, he went down to Egypt. God called him out of Egypt, and they still feared Herod, so they moved up to the area of Nazareth. And he stayed there and became a carpenter like his dad until his ministry began, about age 30. And then for three years, up around the area of Galilee, he went around the towns of Galilee. And that's where he did most of his ministry. And of course, when it was required for him to go down to Jerusalem, because three times a year, the men in Israel had to go to Jerusalem to celebrate some festivals there. And he would do that. Now, God also always told the prophets what he was going to do. He didn't do anything without telling the prophets first. This is recorded for us in Amos chapter 3 verse 7. It says, Surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plan to his servants, the prophets. And so these prophets, they laid it all out in all the books of the Old Testament, who the Messiah was, what would be his characteristics, what would happen to him, that he would be the suffering servant, and that he would rise from the dead. We have the book of Jonah, of course, and Jesus alluded to that as well. Now, it is only God who knows the future. He's the only one that has that ability. And there is this sense in the world that people want to know the future 
And some endeavor to tell people what the future is. You can go around town. I know I used to work, do some jobs down in the, the Point Loma area. And there was this one palm reader that had a sign of a big palm down in Rosecrans. And I thought, man, you're just soaking people for money. You think that you can look at the lines on the hand and tell somebody's future with that? Or the horoscopes. You know, before I was saved, I, I thought it was fun to look at the horoscopes. And, and see, well, is this me? Is this not me? Is this going to take place today? Should I live my life according to that? And I think everybody at one time or another kind of looks at that stuff, but that is all false. Nobody can truly tell you the future. Now, Scripture talks about this, specifically in the book of Isaiah, that only God knows the future, and anyone else who claims to know it is a false god or a false prophet. In Isaiah chapter 41... Beginning in verse 22, it says, bring in your idols to tell us what is going to happen. Tell us what the former things were so that we may consider them and know their final outcome or declare to us the things to come. Tell us what the future holds so that we may know that you are God's. And of course, this is sarcasm. God is using, through the prophet Isaiah, sarcasm. And on Isaiah chapter 42, verse 9, it says, See, the former things have taken place, and the new things I declare before they spring into being, I announce them to you. Isaiah 44, 7 says, Who then is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and lay out before me what has happened since I established my ancient people and what is yet to come. Yes, let him foretell what will come in the final one is Isaiah 48 5 therefore I tell you these things long ago before they happened I announced them to you so God has told us the future we know what lies ahead we don't have to be unsure about what's going to happen if the Lord's plan is a little bit in the future for us and we die in this life that's okay we know exactly where we're going we're going to be ushered into the throne room of God we don't have to worry or fret but those people who die without Christ they have no hope and that's why there's weeping for some people who leave this world and never accept the salvation that God has now have there been people that have written things down that said this is going to be the end of the world this is going to be the apocalyptic event that is going to take place well yes there have like Zoroaster from Zoroastrianism which is about the 5th century BC when I was reading about this they said that that was one of the first religions that had a monotheistic base I'm sorry it wasn't we can go all the way back to Adam and Adam would have been instructed by God himself this is who he is we know that Noah was a worshiper of God well this guy Zoroaster he said that there is this comet that's going to come and destroy the earth yeah that hasn't happened yet but did you see in the news there is a comet that is heading in our direction and it's going to be as far away from us as the sun is from Saturn. And the thing is 85 miles big. And they said they can see it now. And it's bright. It's so bright. They had to figure out how big this thing was. And it's going to arrive here in 2031. So we have some years to wait. But if this thing gets here and it comes close to the sun, it's going to be spectacular. I don't know if you've ever seen a comet up there. But it'll be spectacular. But they said there's no chance that it's going to hit the earth. You know, when they send these um, satellites up to ram into these asteroids and these comets that are up there, what could possibly go wrong? 
breaking it from its orbit. What could possibly happen doing that? You know, you're, you're messing with stuff out there and that could go and hit another one which sends it on another course that sends it right to us. You know how many tens of thousands of asteroids there are out there? You have the asteroid belt, which is in front of Mars. You have the Coupier belt, which is beyond Pluto, which is out there. And those things are streaming into the solar system and going out all the time. Of course, we know in the book of Revelation, there's one that comes in called Wormwood. And it's going to destroy one-third of the grass, one-third of the air, one-third of the water. It's going to be a mess when that hits. But not until then. I think we're going to be okay until then. And then, you know, they had these uh, MCU movies. There was one called Ragnarok. Remember that one with Thor? Thor was out there. Well, that comes from the Viking mythology, the Norse god. And he, it's talked about in that mythology that the North, Norse gods are going to fight against their arch enemies, the giants. And that's going to kind of destroy the whole earth and there's going to be a flaming sword. Now, all of these things are kind of absurdities that you end up reading about. But then there was this guy, Rabbi Elihu Vilna in the 18th century. He set the Messiah clock. Now, this Messiah clock, he was using the Talmud in the Hebrew calendar and he created a method for tracking the return of the Messiah. This is where it began. You know that as a day is as a thousand years, a thousand years is as a day. That's what the scripture says. Well, he took that And he said, well, using the Jewish calendar, that means that the Messiah is going to come back in the year, on the Jewish calendar, in the year 6,000. That coincides with our year of 2,239. So there's a long time to go before the Messiah comes up. But that's what he uses. It's like he's going to come back on the 6,000th year. I don't think we're going to have to wait that long. I think things are going to get pretty bad and Christ is going to come back before that now there's another guy that you're probably familiar with Nostradamus Nostradamus gave 6,000 prophecies and if you've ever read some of his prophecies they are so muddled and nebulous and eclectic you can't really tell what's going on and people try to look at events and point back to Nostradamus and say see this is the fulfillment I think it's just a way stretched Armstrong thing it, it's it doesn't make sense at all and he predicted when the end of the world will happen when the Messiah will come back and that's going to be in year 8,555 and, and just way in the future and Jesus told us God told us through the prophets that hey you're probably not going to have to wait that long all these things are going to transpire and we know that things are going to go from bad to worse and we see that taking place even in our own country you know with the election I just get discouraged to listen to that stuff but I know I have a savior I don't have to worry about any of that I do my part and that's what he requires me and you guys to do but if you look back at all of these prophecies they have a terrible track record as far as declaring what the future is going to be. I told you before I was talking uh, to this Muslim named Muhammad, and uh, I've spent several hours with him, and the challenge I gave him, remember the challenge? I said, if you can prove to me that the Quran is prophetic, I will become a Muslim. And I gave him the challenge, if I can prove to you that the Bible is prophetic, you will become a Christian. And we shook hands on it, and he agreed. 
I never saw him again after a couple of weeks, and that was just the end of it. And and he went to his um, mosque that is up in Kearney Mesa up there, the big one, the biggest one in San Diego. And he talked to them. He wanted to get some information about prophecies in the, the book by Muhammad. You know, Muhammad was the author of it. And they all they said was, just bring him to us. Wouldn't give him a single prophecy. And I told him that. And I saw him a couple more times, but I told him that. I said, they didn't give you any prophecies. And I took him to Isaiah and gave him all the verses that I just gave you. If you are God, you can predict the future with 100% accuracy. And he couldn't do that. And so afterwards, I, I never saw him again after a couple of more meetings. So their track record is miserable. But the previous prophets... If they're going to be a true prophet, as we just read in Deuteronomy chapter 18, you have to be 100% correct. That is all the time. You can't even make one mistake in your prophecies. Every single word must be fulfilled. Now, none of these dystopian apocalyptic narratives have come true, nor will they. But when God speaks, we can rest assured that the ones he has told us about, they will come to pass. For instance, we know that Israel was going to be restored after, uh, as a nation over a couple of thousand years. They, they were just remaining a people scattered throughout the earth, and God brought them back into the land, and the land is just flourishing over there. Now, I want to take a parenthetical thought here for a moment, because we're always supposed to pay attention to what's going on in the world. Now, have you seen what is going on with the war in Ukraine and Russia? Now, I believe both governments are completely corrupt. There's no question in my mind. Do I feel that Russia had the right to go into Ukraine? No, I don't think that they had the right to do that whatsoever. But they did. And now they're just getting a can of whooping. And they're having to go back to Russia and in the Kirshan area. And it looks like they're going to go into Crimea and take everything back. The Donbass area. The Ukrainians are probably going to take everything back. And they, the uh, Ukrainians are not even given 1% of NATO's armaments. And they are destroying the Russian army. Now, why is that important biblically? Because remember, Russia is the one that comes down to Israel or that region of Russia. And their military is being decimated. And I told you a couple of weeks ago that there is a real chance that on a prophetic scale, this battle that is going to take place, the Gog-Magog invasion, it can be postponed for a little bit. And for right now, it looks like on the prophetic timescale, it's just going to be pushed back. Not that it's going to stop. I believe it's still going to happen. But it's going to be pushed back. In Iran, Iran is over 50 days that they have been rioting or peacefully, not so peacefully rioting because of the women having to wear the hijabs over there. And they're still taken to the streets. And they're asking for help uh, from the nations around the world. And what they're doing is they're, the women are cutting their long hair. They're throwing off their hijabs. They're burning them. And they're doing something new where some of the younger uh, men that are over there, they're running up behind the imams and they're tipping their hats off. You know, they wear these hats and they're supposed to be like 
holy, these hats, and they're tipping them off and they're falling on the ground and they turn around and they taunt them. You can see videos of this stuff. But I also heard that 1,500 people have been jailed as a result of the riots that are there and the parliament or their governing body that's over there just gave permission to execute all 1,500 for not wearing a headscarf, for protesting against that. Now, how will this turn out? Yeah, I I don't know. There are uh, protests in other countries as well. And these are two of the three main players. You have Russia, you have Iran, which is Persia, and you have Turkey as well. Now, we don't know what's going to go on with Turkey, but these other two, they seem to be in jeopardy as far as their power is concerned. That's why I say, well, there's a possibility that this can be postponed, not put off, not canceled, just postponed. So what does that mean for us? Well, that that means that the Lord gives us more chances to go out there, to give the gospel, to allow people to be saved so that more people will come into the kingdom. He's putting things off. He's putting the brakes from our perspective, not his. He's putting the brakes on things so we can see this. But we always want to be watching what is going on. And what will happen if the Ukrainian army takes over, becomes real powerful in the Middle East? You know, what's going to go on with them? And how is that going to affect Russia and Iran and Turkey? And we just want to be watching for that. And this is because of prophecy that we want to pay attention. Now, verse 24 goes on to tell us, about the attestation of the prophets who told us about the coming of the Messiah. It says, Indeed, all the prophets from Samuel on, as many as have spoken, have foretold these days, the days that the Messiah would come. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your forefathers. He said to Abraham, Through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. And that was in Genesis 22, verse 18. And when God raised up his servant, and this is referring to Jesus here, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Now, we see this word wicked. If you heard that word today, it would not mean in our society what it meant back then. Uh, You know that little, um, it's not a cartoon, but it's the little movie, The Incredibles. And you have, if you saw that, the son, his name is Dash. And Dash can run so fast that you can't see him. That's his superpower, so to speak. And when he got really excited about something, you know what he said? Wicked! He said wicked. And, and so that word wicked has a different connotation, especially to the next generation, than it does for us. We know wicked or wickedness is something that is evil. The International Bible Encyclopedia, it describes wickedness like this. The state of being wicked, right? A mental disregard for justice, righteousness, truth, honor, virtue, evil in thought and life, depravity, sinfulness, and criminality. Like I said before, if you guys have violated the law, even though you didn't get a ticket, you are wicked. All of us 
are wicked. We all deserve the judgment, as you've heard so many times. But here it says, when God raised up his servant in verse 26, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you. It's a personal thing. Each of you from your wicked ways. This not only applied to the Jews, but it applied to us as well. I'm sure if you reflect back on your life, especially if you're older, you can benchmark things that you're ashamed of. You can benchmark things that you did that you wish you had never done. And maybe it's caused you grief up until this time. Maybe you've been able to deal with it and just say, you know, I'd leave that at the foot of the cross. I'm not going to deal with that. I'm not going to worry about that. But most of the time, the accuser of the brethren shows up and he whispers to you, you remember when you did this and you were so guilty. It happens to me all the time. I don't know about you, but the accuser of the brethren shows up and tells me everything that I have done wrong. And I I just say, well, you know, I'm forgiven. That's all I can say. I'm forgiven. I'm not even going to argue with you. The Lord rebuke you and you just go on with what you're doing. And so God had in mind to reach every one of us. And even Romans 3.10 says, there is no one righteous, no, not one. And that's why Christ was sent, not just for the Jews, but for us as well. Now, after performing this great miracle at the gate, beautiful Peter and John are taken into custody and they're forced to stand before the leaders in the land of Israel. When you went into court, if you ever went into court, did you feel the sense of fold your hands, sit down, be quiet, don't say anything because the bailiff is over there and if the judge doesn't like you, you can be arrested if you make a scene inside of the courtroom. So just remain quiet and sit there and listen. And then the criminals come in and the judge is right there, the black robe, and you're going, ooh, let's see what this penalty is going to be here. I've been to, to watch a couple of uh, different arraignments and, you know, it's just a, it's a solemn event. Well, Peter and John, they took them into custody. And because it was the end of the day, apparently they were there almost all day. And they were talking to the people there, or at least the last uh, part of the day and the, the prayer that was offered, the afternoon prayer, remember, is morning, noon, and the afternoon time. And so they took them into custody. Because it was late, they didn't see them in the court, so to speak. They threw them in prison until the morning came around because even though they didn't afford Jesus this luxury no trial is to commence when it is dark now it has to do uh, with the Sanhedrin and the rulings that they made at that time if you had a case that dealt with money uh, finances something like that you could start a case in the day and it could go into the evening but if it was a capital case It had to be done during the day. And Jesus was convicted at night. They broke their own law. They they crucified Jesus without going through the proper uh, adjudication of his guilt or his innocence. And so we see in chapter 4, verse 1, we have the priests and the captain of the temple guard. This is their police force. And the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. 
And they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They had just crucified Jesus, and here's these two guys, and they're proclaiming Jesus. Like, what's the deal with that? Not obeying the authorities which are out there? Remember, several people kept quiet when they were questioned about healings because they didn't want to be cast out of the synagogue or out of the temple. They wanted to participate in, in the covenant that God had wrought with the people, the nation of Israel. And if they went against the priest, if they went against the rulers, if they went against the Sanhedrin, they could be thrown out. So these guys show up. They're the authority. They bust in there. They have their SWAT gear on. They're going, what is going on here? They probably had their spears and swords in hand, but they were greatly disturbed. And this means to be troubled, to be displeased, to be offended, to be pained, to be worked up. So they were worked up coming over they knew what had happened and the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead now the Sadducees I I need to explain some of the groups that were there uh, during this time like for instance who are the political and religious groups in our country well we have the Democrats we have the Republicans we have the Independents we have the Green Party we have the Peace and Freedom Party we we have a bunch of other parties which are out there we have religious groups we have the Southern Baptist Convention we have the Presbyterian Synod and, and you know you go to the Episcopalian we have the uh, Church of England which is the Episcopalian Church in this country we we have all these groups religious and political in our country and some of them wield great power and some don't and some rise and some fall we see that happen well who were the people what were the groups in the time of Jesus well you had the chief priests now the chief priests were descendants of Aaron the brother of Moses and Miriam if you remember he was Moses was thrown down the river and and when he was taken up by Pharaoh's daughter then he was raised inside of the house of Pharaoh well Aaron and Miriam were still in Egypt and they were slaves for the next 40 years and so Aaron was given the priesthood the brother of Moses to carry on and his descendants were to be the chief priests in the temple and they were the ones that offered the sacrifices now they were not liked so much they were unpopular with the people and they were called the Sadducees. Now, the Sadducees, they were Sadducee because they didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in angels. They thought, when you died, that's it. Game over, consciousness done, lights out, out of the pool, nothing more. But the Pharisees, and Paul used this against the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Remember, he said, I'm here representing God in the resurrection. And the Pharisees, oh, we have nothing against him. And the Sadducees says, boo, humbug. And and so he caused them to fight back and forth. But the Pharisees, they were loved by the people. The people loved the Pharisees and they didn't like the Sadducees because the Sadducees would buddy up with the political elites during the time. The Romans is who they would buddy up against. And, and that was not so good as far as the people were concerned. And so the Sadducees and the Pharisees had a rival going on. And then you had the scribes. You had the, the elders and the scribes and the Pharisees. And who were the scribes? The scribes were originally charged with copying the Old Testament. 
And there were specific edicts that they were to follow. They had to be bathed before they sat down. They had to have their pins all lined up. They had a red thread that they would put on the parchment. And then they would copy each one. And if there was one single mistake, they had to destroy the whole thing. And the king could not disturb them as they came in. And that was the job of the copyists, the scribes. But the scribes, they grew and they moved into a couple of different areas. They were the ones that were interpreting the scriptures. And when they interpreted the scriptures, they had some of the rabbis that came along and said, well, this is how you're supposed to implement this particular scripture. Like you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. And they would say, you cannot carry your mat on the Sabbath because that is considered work. You cannot light a fire on the Sabbath because that is considered work. You cannot look in the mirror lest you fix your face on the Sabbath and that would be considered work. And they had all of these rules and those rules were put into the Mishnah. Now the Mishnah is a commentary on the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible. Now, there is another document called the Gemara, and the Gemara added further commentary to the Mishnah. And with that teaching, the Pharisees took that hook, line, and sinker and gave all these commands of what you could and couldn't do, and they turned to Jesus when he healed on the Sabbath and said, you cannot heal on the Sabbath. That is a work, and that is prohibited. And, of course, Jesus He hated what they were teaching and he despised who they were because they're leading the people astray. And so you had the Sadducees, the Pharisees, and the scribes. And the scribes eventually moved into this area of being lawyers and attorneys because people would go to the scriptures and say, what does the scripture say? And a scribe would stand up. This is what the scripture says. And this is how we interpret it. And this is what you're supposed to follow. So you had all of these people plus the elders. The elders were there. Who were the elders? They were the leaders of the 12 tribes of Israel. They were the ones who were older. They were the ones who had standing in the community. They were respected. And all of them made up what was known as the Sanhedrin. That was the Supreme Court of Israel. So we have Peter and John and the Sanhedrin. There were 70 members there. And it is believed that Paul was part of that. But you had Peter and John brought into that in the courtroom where this solemn event is taking place. It's not just one judge and a bailiff over here and a bailiff over there and that person which is accused behind the box and it's being arraigned. It's not just that. You had at least 70 people of the Sanhedrin, the chief priests. You had Annas and Caiaphas, which were there. Remember, Annas was the high priest, and he was deposed by the Romans. They said, we don't like you. We want somebody else in there. And Annas had five sons, and each one of them had served as high priest for a little while. But Caiaphas was the son-in-law of Annas, and he was the one that was a current high priest. That's why Jesus was taken to Annas and also to Caiaphas. And they were both considered high priests that people respected Annas is still being the high priest at that time, but Caiaphas was the Roman appointee, and so they went to him as well. And all of these people are there, including the elders. And so there were over a hundred people in there, and they usher in Peter and John. And they basically say, what do you have to say for yourself? And who gave you this authority to do this? And if you were in that kind of situation, what would you do? Would you sit there and go, oh my What am I supposed to say? How is this going to turn out? I don't know. This is so good. I could end up being whipped for this. The guys didn't do that. Peter and John didn't do that. 
Well, let's go on. By the way, I, w- I want to let you know, during the time of Christ, there were also the Herodians and the Zealots and the Essenes. There were all groups that were there. Just like in our country, we have all these groups. They had all those groups, and they're always going back and forth at each other and who was in charge and who was favored and who was not favored. But going on in verse 3, it says, They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and a number of men grew to about 5,000. So they have this church, this people getting saved, and they're probably pulling their hair out, just going, what is going on? We crucified this Jesus, and these two guys show up and heal this guy. We got to find out what's going on. So the next day, verse 5, the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law, this would be the scribes, met in Jerusalem. Annas the high priest was there, and so was Caiaphas, John and Alexander. We don't know who this John and Alexander, who they are. And the other men of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? In other words, they knew that they didn't give the authority. So whose authority are they appealing to? Remember, Jesus was asked this too. Jesus was given the question, By what authority do you do these miracles? And Jesus didn't answer them and said, well, I'll give you a question. Where did John come from? Was his authority from God or was it not? And they went off and they conferred with themselves and they said, oh, you know, if we say that it was from God, then he's going to say to us, then why didn't we believe him? And if we say it was not from God, then the people are going to get angry because they believed he was a prophet. And so they came back to Jesus and they said, we're not going to answer you. And then Jesus said, well, I'm not going to answer you either. You know, he was just, oh man, he was just wise in in the way of answering these people who tried to entrap him. And so we had Peter and John in verse 7. They were brought before them and began to question them by what power or authority did you do this or do you do these things? And of course, the rulers were the magistrates. They would be like the governors and the mayors, that type of thing. The elders, the heads of the clan, the teacher of the law, the scribes, the lawyers, and the members of the Sanhedrin. And they were interested in authority. But Peter answers this way in verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, and in my version, there's an exclamation point. Now, we don't know exactly how he did that, but he's probably standing tall. And he just says, hey, rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness showed to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, he's, you know what he's doing? He's rubbing it in their face. Because they can see this guy has been healed. Are you bringing us in here? Because we did something nice for this guy? Is that what you're doing? It's taunting is what's taking place. And these are the rulers of Israel. I'm sure they were looking at the scowls that were there. The wincing of the eyes, the gritting of the teeth, the slight separation in the lips. Like, what are you doing? What do you think you're going to get away with? And he says, if we were being called to count today for the act of kindness showed to the to a cripple and are asked how he was healed then know this and he's preaching to him at this point you and all the people of Israel it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you crucified but whom God raised from the dead that this man stands before you healed oh ouch 
I mean, it's just right back at him. You are guilty of this, but God raised him from the dead. And by this time, everyone in Jerusalem knows that it is reported Jesus rose from the dead. And I'm sure it got back to the chief priests. And if they could have found Jesus during that time, that interval before he ascended, they would have done so. They wanted to, to put down this rebellion according to them. And he goes on to say, in verse 11, he is the, the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. So it's just an indictment to these leaders of Israel. Now, in my mind, I go, how many of these guys repented and were cut to the heart? And how many just hardened their heart and would not have it? I would say probably most of them did this. But these guys were informed, Peter and John, they were informed that this would happen and that God would give them the words to say which could not be contradicted. In Luke chapter 21, verse 12, when Jesus was still with them and he was talking about the things that would happen in the future, he said, they will deliver you to synagogues and prisons and you will be brought before kings and governors and all on account of my name. This will result in your being witnesses to them. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves, for I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. And I'm sure they were thinking about that. Wow, this is, this is it. They're probably sitting in prison at night going, you know, Jesus told us that this was going to happen. And they were all set. And they probably prayed, say, uh, sang a few hymns, you know, and then when the time came, they turned to each other, you ready, bro? And they, yeah, I'm ready. And, and they headed out to the Sanhedrin. That's where they went. And they stood there confidently knowing that God was going to fill them with not only words, but wisdom to talk with them. Now, he points back at them and says, you builders, and they're the ones that are constructing, so to speak, the nation of Israel, keeping it where it needs to be. He, he said to them, Peter said to them, you rejected the chief stone. Now, it depends on if you go to the Old Testament, New Testament, the version that you have. It's either the cornerstone or the capstone. But the cornerstone, I think it was a cornerstone. The cornerstone is what is set for any building. And it has to have a perfect 90 degree square. And it's usually bigger. The cornerstones are bigger and everything else is built off of that. And Jesus called the chief cornerstone. And it had to be perfectly level, perfectly square, perfectly lined up where the building was going to go. And Peter accused them of rejecting Christ the Messiah. And of course, they really didn't want to have anything to do with that. And so verse 13 says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, this means illiterate. They, they didn't know how to write anything really down. They were ordinary men. They were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. And, and so in our country today, and there's more now, than there has been in the past, people who are illiterate. There are graduating students that do not know how to read or how to write. And they will not do well in society. That's just a perpetuation of generational poverty that takes place. 
and they end up becoming a ward of the state, which is not good. And I think a lot of that is by design. But these men were unschooled. They were fishermen. You know, they, they'd go out and fish. That's all they needed to know. They didn't have to know anything else. They went to the synagogue to get the, the law that was preached there every week. Not everybody carried around the scrolls of the Old Testament, the Torah. They, they didn't have that like we have it today. And so there was really no need. But they were ordinary men, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, this word ordinary, it can mean idiot. So they, they consider them low class, so to speak. And yet they were schooling the Sanhedrin. Verse 14 says, but since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. Remember what it said in Luke? They will not be able to contradict so they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. And they got in the back room. What are we going to do about this? How are we going to stop these guys? What, what is going to happen? 5,000 people have come to Christ and they're preaching Jesus. Oh, this is not good. There is a mountain of evidence that cannot stand against a grain of truth. And all they did was say a few lines according to what we have. There may have been other words that were there. But it was just enough to tear down this mountain of evidence that they had constructed. And, of course, what could they do to stop this? They could have killed the guy who is walking. Tough luck, buddy. But we got to take you out because the message is getting out that we don't want out. Remember they tried to kill Lazarus? It was in their hearts to kill Lazarus. Not only do we have to kill Jesus, but we have to kill Lazarus. We have to cover the biggest cover-up in all of history. We have to cover this thing up. They could have done that. Fortunately, we don't have any indication that they did. But the only defense for those in opposition to Christ is to threaten bodily harm, destroy the evidence, or twist the truth. And what do we have today? We have the twisting of the truth. We have the destroying of the evidence. People are nefarious they don't want the information of Christ getting out there so in verse 16 it says what are we going to do with these men they asked everybody living in Jerusalem knows they have done an outstanding miracle and we cannot deny it but to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in this name we're going to give them a tongue lashing for sure then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus but Peter and John replied Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. This is a finger in their eye. They're, they're just telling them, you better not speak again in the name of Jesus. Well, you decide for yourself. Should we obey God or should we obey you? Oh, ouch, another one. And he goes on to say, for we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. you realize what they're doing? Stop praising God. And they were the leaders of Israel. The, the chosen people, stop praising God. We can't have this around here. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Oh, man. 
What a testimony they had here. And it says, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer. I bet these other disciples, the people who had gotten saved, were just ecstatic, like, yoo-hoo! They, they were praising God. They probably started singing hymns, and they go, oh, let's pray. We need to pray and just thank God for what he has done. And so then comes the prayer. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. This is being taken from Psalm chapter 2 verses 1 and 2. Verse 27 says, Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in the city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your words with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus, after they had, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Now, all these people are praying, and then the building goes, and whoa, you know, they would just been ecstatic what God was doing. It didn't come down. It was just kind of shaken. It's kind of a confirmation. Yes, this is good. God was like high-fiving them going, you guys did good. This is what we need to do. And that's a lesson for us. That's what we need to go away with. Now, when you get out there and you witness and you get persecuted, if you're witnessing, you got to be talking to somebody. You got to give them the word. And if you get persecuted... Maybe the building won't shake very much, or maybe a semi goes by and rumbles, and you might take that as a confirmation, I don't know, but we're not going to have all of these miracles because we have the Word of God. We just have to have the Word of God in our hearts to share it with the people, to let them know. And if there's an admonishment that is due, we give it an admonishment. However, we need to communicate God's Word. The Holy Spirit will give us the words to say, just like He gave to Peter and John, that cannot be refuted or contradicted. If we walk in wisdom that God has given to us because His Holy Spirit lives in us, we'll be able to do that. And then you will see the fruit of your outreach eventually. I don't think it's going to be like Noah who preached for how many years? Not a single convert except for his family. I think we'll have a little more fruit than that if we just simply reach out. May God give you the wisdom and the boldness to do that. Even when you think... You shouldn't open your mouth. May God prompt you to do something. Thanksgiving is coming up, right? Volunteer to pray at the table. And you might have Uncle Harry that's over there who is a staunch atheist. Say, I'm just going to pray for us. Do you mind if we do that? Give thanks to God for what he has done. And slip in there Jesus. You know, and just talk about Jesus a little bit. Not too long, just enough. And we wait for your return, Lord, and the glorification of our bodies. And you have saved us. Amen. You know, in Jesus' name. Something like that. Just insert it. And not to poke a finger in their eye, but to prick their heart a little bit. That they want to search after Jesus. So let's pray that God would do that. Father, we... Come before you and and we ask that you would use us in a tremendous way 
to be a witness. And as we stuff these boxes for these kids, may these kids get and receive the gospel, be ushered into the kingdom for a simple act of giving them a gift of a shoebox. Lord, we know that you are unwilling that any should perish. So help us fulfill that commission, the one you gave us. In Jesus' name, and the church said, Amen. Please stand.